And I'll never forget it. She went, we all get complacent in our job. And I went, so so do I. I said, I get complacent in my job. I said, but I'm not in charge of lives. And if you are in charge of, of lives, then, and you do, and you, you do feel that way, then it's time to find another job. Yeah. If you're not committed and you're not willing to put that effort in and to treat everybody when they go in as as a new case and as as some something new as if you've never seen it before, then how many people could could be not just babies, how many lives could be saved, how many babies' lives could be saved? Hello and welcome to Labor Pains Podcast. I am your host, Teresa Reiniger. I am so glad that you are here. If you are here for the very first time, welcome. I am so glad that you have found me. If you have been with me before, a huge welcome back to you. This podcast is a place, it's a platform where I have been spreading awareness connecting and supporting those that have experienced the struggles of infertility or loss of a child during pregnancy or infancy. We talk about feeling alone, isolated, the grief and where to find support. I hold space here where professionals share how they can support you and those that have personally have experienced infertility or loss can share their stories to connect and give support to others. Your healing and happiness is very important to me. My listeners and clients have shared that they feel like they are not sure what to do. Their relationships are hard. They're feeling alone and isolated, feeling like no one understands and their needs are not being heard. I hear you, I see you, and we talk about them. We're spreading awareness and giving you a voice. If hope and healing is what you're looking for, you have come to the right place. Hello, Gemma. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Labor Pains Podcast. I am so glad that you have decided to come on and be a guest with me today, all the way from the UK. It is nighttime, I think, there, and here it's mid-afternoon, so I'm glad that we figured out a time that works for both of us to be awake and could talk and have a great conversation to share with my audience here on Labor Pains. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. You are so welcome. We were connected, I think, through social media, through a podcasting boot camp, I believe, is how we got connected. So I'm glad that we did. We reached out to each other and, and we're connected and found that we have um, some things that we could talk about to help other people. So before we talk about your journey um, here on and your story here on the podcast, can you share with the listeners really quick, who is this beautiful woman from the UK named Gemma? I love that name. <laughs> <laughs> so like like you said my name's Gemma um, and I'm from the UK I've I had a daughter that in 2014 who was stillborn um, but before that I I did have to go through some fertility treatment to, to fall pregnant with her so it was back and forth to the, to the doctors um, in the UK you've, if you're under 35 
you've got to be trying for two years before you can get any help with your fertility where the doctors will even consider hmm. consider looking or, or helping you so that them two years were really really hard I kind of thought naively oh it'll be a couple of months and then it'll I'll fall pregnant but the longer it went on the worse it got um the anxieties the stress the the frustration the the panic the thinking what what's the matter with me everyone else has fallen pregnant and why aren't I um so after the two years I went to the doctors had some tests and checks done um and they couldn't find a reason why I wasn't falling they didn't know I didn't have endometriosis, they didn't have nothing, no scar tissues or anything that was wrong um, inside. So that was a bit bit of a kick in the teeth because they didn't know why it was just, so they didn't really know how to treat it. I just think if, if there was something there, then they could have been able to treat it, but then could they? So it was kind of glad that, glad they didn't, but also annoyed that they did they didn't find anything um so I got some fertility tablets from the doctors I had three months worth um and on the last try that's when that's when I fell pregnant with my daughter um everything was was fine the pregnancy was was fine there was no complications scans everything was was fine um at 38 weeks uh my waters had broke so went to the hospital um in the middle of the night the the nurses and that checked me over said everything was fine i was i was concerned about my bleeding i didn't i knew you did bleed when you were in labor but i didn't know how much um but the nurse the midwife sorry they were a bit dismissive and they were kind of, i kind of felt like i was putting them out because they'd come in and they'd said oh well we can check if you want but we don't have to and I was like oh all right then so if they're not concerned then then why should I be so I did they did go they did say that they went and checked my my pad that I had on and that it was it was fine apparently um but I don't think they did so I went home the bleeding got a lot worse um so then I went back and I don't know I was in this weird bubble where I didn't I wasn't nervous I wasn't anxious or I just thought everything was going to be was going to be fine I didn't feel I didn't feel anything it was just kind of I don't know like a surreal surreal experience where I laid on the bed and even when the midwives were trying to find a heartbeat and they couldn't even that didn't like hmm. make me nervous or or anything, um. And then they were just reassuring me our baby just might be hiding, trying to give explanations, making me feel better. Um. Then I ended up going for a scan, and then that's when I got told that that she died. The then it was just bits of it I can remember, bits of it I can't. I just remember all these people coming in. Um, the the consultant she'd had to scan me again, so I got scanned twice. Um, by the I don't know why she she had to do it again. I don't know if it's like a procedure because 
I, I don't I don't know, but I remember Eskelin again, and she was kind of for, forceful. That I remember being like forceful, but not in a bad way. She was kind of like took charge, so that kind of helped me not freak out as much because she kind of was was in charge, um, and then people found out people got told people were coming back and forth to the hospital um then i got took to the the delivery room um refused an epidural at first and then they just they kind of talked around and said look you, you you're gonna need one it's 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 advisable so so i got one um and then she was born on the 4th of September. So when when she was born, it was kind of the silence afterwards. Um, that was a bit, that I, I remember the silence. I remember uh, being born, being told she'd born because I couldn't, obviously couldn't feel anything. And then it was, that was it. There was no like urgency, there was no, there was no rush or, or anything it was like right she's here they did do like they did measure her and wear and things like that so do it as they would do if she was alive but there was like no real urgency to to it it was kind of and i, ju I just that sticks in my head like the the um the silence sure sure I would think that that was, was that an emotional time for you or because she was born, you know, silent? Were you, were you in, uh, emotional at that time? Yeah. Um, when I got moved from one ward to the other, I don't know what part of the hospital I got moved to. It was just kind of, um, I, I just kept my head down. As I remember being in the wheelchair, I kept my head down and I didn't want to look at anyone. I didn't want to see anybody. It was just, mm -hmm. so I don't know what part of the hospital I got talked to. I was in there for 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 days um, and one of the midwives come in and said, look, you are going to have to leave and get some, um, get some fresh air and go home and get a change of clothes because people were bringing things to me. And I went, I'm not going out. So they had to take me around the back way and I remember holding on to the do you know I don't know if you've got them in hospitals in America but they've got like a dado type rail mm -hmm. like a hand rail yes yeah, so then I remember holding on to that and using that to like to walk I don't remember any physical pain um afterwards I don't remember being in pain but I don't know if with everything that was going on that stopped it I don't know I don't know I just remember remember not feeling any pain emotional pain yeah and I was I was devastated but no physical pain okay yeah the emotional pain probably outweighed the physical pain for sure yeah. So do they know what happened? And and clarify with me, like you went, um, your water broke, but then they sent you home after that, and then you went back? So what was your time frame then? 
Yeah, so so in the UK, you what if you want us break, um the you can you go in and then they'll do an do an assessment and they'll either keep you in or send you home. It all depends on how far dilated you are, so it depends how far how far along you are. <coughs> um so this was about two o'clock in the morning. My I woke up and my waters had broke, went to the hospital. And then about four, four, five o'clock, I think I left. Then at seven o'clock, I was back in. So it was okay. Within five hours, that that she she died. Um, I did, I did get a postmortem, and I did get the checks in. I've tests done on it, and she had a, a velamentous cord. So it's quite rare for people to have them. Um, well, for babies to have them, and it's really, really difficult to find them in scans. So what happens is my, the cord wasn't in the placenta enough, so it was only in the top layer. So normally the, the cord will go through both layers of the of the placenta. Um, so all the way through my pregnancy, it, it managed, it could... It, done everything that it needed to um, and obviously could could help her grow and she was getting everything she needed but once my once the contractions and that had started then the cord had loosened and come away from from the placenta so that's how she died um i do think i am lucky that i've got an answer of what happened because a lot of people that don't have have the answer it's just the we we can't give you the answer and i know a lot of people it is it is really hard because the baby's died but they don't know why if some an adult or someone had died they've like but yeah they've had a heart attack they've died of cancer they've they've got reasons but when a baby's still born or miscarriages there's there's no answers mm -hmm. for a lot of people so I do think I am lucky in, in that sense and I can get my head around it a little bit because because there was a re there was a reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I do believe that makes it a little bit easier. It's still very, very hard. Um, there's nothing easy about um, losing losing a child. But to have some answers helps a, a little bit in some respect for sure. I agree with you on that that those that don't have any answer, no reason why um, it is definitely more difficult. Um, so I'm glad that you had that that answer for sure. Sounds like it was a very short period of time from when, you know, she was living and then and then yeah. passed. Um, and so once you had determined they had determined she passed, did they give you something to induce the labor or were you already in labor enough? You said they, they moved you to another room and all of that. Um, did they induce your labor? You said about an epidural? No, because my waters had broken, I started to dilate. Then, okay. then it, they just kind of progress, progressed it. She was born okay. at quarter to seven on the night. So just probably up 14 hours I think mm -hmm. um <clears throat> I don't know how many hours I was in active labor but from the start to when she was born it was about 14 hours um which I think is quite normal and then I was getting checked over and everything was 
was was progressing so there was no need for for any other interventions um i did ask for a cesarean because i didn't want to have i didn't want to give birth i didn't want to go go through that but they refused they said because uh cesareans are more invasive obviously you've got to be um sure. cut up in the stitching and the um recovery times a lot more they said because of the circumstances the don't add the, they wouldn't give me one unless it was needed mm-hmm. which is and now i can see why they've done it because if i had a cesarean i'd be laid in bed and i wouldn't be able to move and i wouldn't be able to to get up and, and do things and so yeah I, I do see the reasons why um and i am glad that i delivered it yeah yeah so in the uk i know how things are here in the us in the uk once you delivered her how long of a time did you um spend with her did they allow you to spend time yeah the baby okay yes so we stayed with her um in the room for for a few days and then when i got this i got discharged and we went home so then i would come and visit her every day and there was there's a special bereavement room in in the hospital quite a lot of hospitals have them in the UK and they've got like uh, sofas, a kitchenette where people can spend time with the baby, they can have people come and visit, Um, you can get the baby baptised if you wanted to or or have services if if you're wanting to. Um, So it is is really nice and what happens is the the midwives will bring the baby to you and put the baby in the cold cot and then you can spend the time with them there's no limit either of of how long you can you can stay and um, i would spend pretty much all day people would come visit and the people would stay the full day with me people would spend a couple of hours and leave so that so that was really nice Um got photos and that took taken with her um changed her a couple of times put her in some outfits that that I particularly liked um and yeah just got the the opportunity for people to come I do remember um one day when I was there I got there before the midwives had chance to put her in the cold cot ready ready for me to come and I was sat outside waiting and the midwife brought her in with the in the cot and she had a blanket over her. And I understand why they done it. And I'm glad they did because I didn't I wouldn't want people to, to look at her. But that was really hard to see. Mm. And I didn't say anything to the midwife um, that that brought her because yeah, I just didn't. But that was was quite hard to see where she had, she was covered, and yeah, yeah. I understand why they done it, but at the same time, I didn't really like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that being very difficult to to see. 
your baby all completely covered up. Yeah. Yeah. So how many days did you go back to the hospital to see um, her? That's something that we do not do here that I'm aware of in the U.S. Like once the woman leaves the hospital, then they don't go back. You know, oh, really? the services happen um, in that. So I, so that's interesting to me. And it was interesting me, to me that you said there was like a bereavement room. I, I think that's wonderful. I think that's amazing. So yeah. how many, how long can you set as long as you want? So how many days did you go back to the hospital to see her? I honestly, I don't know because every day kind of merged. I don't, I think it was around about five days um, that we, we'd spent with her. And I remember when she when she was first born, she didn't look she looked all red and blotchy and and not not nice. And then after a couple of days, she looked a little bit better. So she went on like a bit of a peak, and then she started to to deteriorate again. Um. So I remember saying, "This is the day we need." we need to go and it was kind of I made the decision quite quickly rather than thinking oh tomorrow it'll, it'll be the day and um, I just remember looking and thinking no it needs it needs to be now because I wanted to remember her the best that she, she could um sorry no, you're okay. Take your time. I wanted to remember the best that she that she looked, and then people took photos, and I would look at the photos, and I was like, she doesn't look look right. Um, mm -hmm. so I, I remember I looked down at him, and I went, we, we need to go. Um, and I wanted to. She needed the postmortem as well, so the postmortem needed to be done within so many days as well. So, yeah, that was. So I think around about five days, um, <clears throat> that that we spent time with her, and I remember leave, leaving her with the midwife, um, and then just gone. Yeah, yeah. So you said you had lots of photos. Some did not look like her and some were good. So that's something that you have um, to remember. For yeah. Sure. So that's good that, that photos yeah. were taken. Now, in the UK, do they have a professional photographer come in and take photos or did you just take photos? Both. So okay. Yeah. You can you can get them both done by professionals it, I think it depends on what what NHS trust you you're in um, and it depends on on like what's available and if they're available because I think people that come in are sometimes volunteers and um, mm -hmm. so we got professional ones done um, and then obviously people took photos but sure. I don't I've done put a photos on like social media or anything like that. I've got a photos up in the house, um, and downstairs I've got a cabinet with a with a handprints in with a, mm. 
photos of uh, things at bits and bobs that people had bought. So that's all in a cabinet. Um, got our ashes in there because we got cremated. Um, because I didn't want to, I didn't want to bury her, and I didn't want to cremate her. I didn't want to do any really. Yeah. Um, but cremating her, that was probably the best option because I want to be cremated. So when I when I die, we'll be put together, and then mm-hmm. we'll either be scattered or we'll be kept. I don't know. It's, whatever they want to do if they want to keep me they can keep me if they want to get rid then they mm. kind of don't mind um and i've got a tattoo with, with a footprint as well and that's got some of her ashes in so in the uk um you can do it where they in when they do the tattoo they put some of the rashes in it's not a lot but some of the rashes are, are in the tattoo as well in the what as well? I'm sorry. In the, in my tattoo. I've got a tattoo with oh, a your footprint. Tattoo. Oh, yeah. 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 I've heard of that. I love that. I didn't want to get any jewellery or anything like that just in case I lost it. Or I've heard of stories where they've put ashes in jewellery and they, sure. they've come apart. So I didn't want to do that. I don't think I could... You, you, I'd have to hoover it up on now, and I, 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 could, I couldn't do that. Yeah. Um, so I thought I'm very unlikely I'm going to lose my arm, so that's why I chose that option. I didn't want to. I didn't want to get any of the jewelry options or get anything made from her ashes, so we've kept her ashes together. Yeah. Well, good. Good. Did you name her? Yeah, so my mum died when I was a kid, so her name was Angela. So she was always going to have the middle name Angela. Um, But then when she died, we changed it to Angel. So that's the name, Angel. Angel. That's the name where Angela comes from, Angel. And then Mm -hmm. there's on the end, so Mm -hmm. that's where it comes from. Um, I go through phases where I, I like a name and I don't. I just think it's a bit, could have chose like a more normal, normal name rather than Angel, but then it's too, it's too late now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's what you decided then, and it was right yeah. then, so, yeah. Now, you struggled, you had said, uh, for over two years to become pregnant with her. Have you had other children since her? Yeah, yeah. To become pregnant again? Yeah, so I've got another two children um, and I didn't need any fertility treatment with them. One of them, uh, I did get the tablets from my second one, but I never ever needed any of them because I fell. Because in the in the UK, after she died, I wasn't allowed to get any fertility treatment for six months because I needed to grieve, let my body heal. And I put a complaint in about the, the midwife's... Um, and how 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 they handled my care. So then we had all of that going on as well. So <coughs> I remember thinking, I want to be pregnant straight away. As soon as I can, I want to fall pregnant. But looking back, I'm glad it happened when it happened because 
I was going to I'd put put in the complaint in, and that took a couple couple of months because it was going back and forth and determining which is um like liaison with the hospital, um and then obviously the funeral and my grief and everything like that. So it was round about six months, and I think that was probably at, at a good time to fall pregnant. Um, went back to the doctors, got the tablets and was ready to start the next month, but didn't need them. Um, was um, classed as high dependency, so I had a cesarean at 37 weeks. So because she died at 38, I'll never, ever go past 38 weeks. So the 37 weeks, I was booked in for a cesarean. Um, and I remember that pregnancy being, I hated it absolutely mm. it. I was I was convinced that she was I was either going to miscarry or she was going to die and was at the hospital every week to get to get checked over the and I remember going to the hospital and the midwives kind of dismissing me and as soon as I told them I'd, I'd had a stillborn their attitudes changed they couldn't do enough for me it was I remember going in and they went, one of them went, oh, well, have you had any pain? Have you got any bleeding? I went, no, I said, but I, I lost, I've had a stillborn. And then the attitude changed straight away. And mm -hmm. that kind of annoys me and frustrates me because how many babies could be could be saved if all I've got to do is that the check, check on the Doppler of the heartbeat, if the heartbeat, even to put the mum's, mum's at, at ease mm -hmm. it does really really frustrate me because it didn't just happen the once when I went in it happened quite a few times when I went in and I was in probably about two or three times a month mm -hmm. and it was it was really really annoying because as soon as I'd said it I'd still born the attitudes changed for so for me the attitude shouldn't change if someone goes in they go look I'm a little bit concerned can you just check all I've got, and I know they're busy, and I know that everyone's stretched, and especially now with nurses and doctors and everybody over the UK wanting to go on strike and paramedics, just just check. I remember when I put my I put my complaint in, and one of the the head midwives said, and I'll never forget it. She went, "We all get complacent in our job," and I went, "So so do I." I said, "I get complacent in my job." I said, "But I'm not in charge of lives." And if you are in charge of, of lives, then and you do and you you do feel that way, then it's time to find another job. Yeah. If you're not committed and you're not willing to put that effort in and to treat everybody when they go in as as a new case and as as some something new as if you've never seen it before, then how many people could could be not just babies, how many lives could be saved how many babies lives could be saved how many people would not need then to for the mental health how many people could then the, just by doing something an early intervention of that could prevent something happening for so long because then the, the reduce on PTSD they could reduce on people going through mental health issues like needing tablets depression anxiety um going through psychosis getting other medical medical issues physical issues and then it's not just that it's in people people's jobs people's livelihoods everything like that it's like a knock-on effect yeah 
and I know that everyone's stretched and I know that it's it's probably a lot more complicated than what I'm thinking it is but <laughs> it just frustrates me that to have a to have a loss then you get treated different but you shouldn't have yeah. to you shouldn't have to have a loss to be treated different and to be given that extra bit of care. I'll be able to have cesareans and I can have as many scans and, and go in as I want. And if they know my history, then, then they'll take more notice. But what if I didn't have one? What if I just went in and I've got really, I've got, I've just got a concern. They check me over, go, oh, well, actually the baby's happy. It's a bit irregular. We need to do a check. Mm-hmm. And then they do a check and then they can save that baby instead of going, because what they say in the UK is go home, drink Lucasade, have a cold bath, come back in a couple of hours if nothing's changed. So that's the advice that we get. Mm. And then in them, so for me, it was five hours. But from from her being alive to, to finding out that she died, but I think she died probably not long after I left the hospital. So probably two, no, three hours after my waters went, uh, probably three, four hours she died. Mm-hmm. And all he had to do was check, yeah, you you are bleeding a lot more than what we should do. We need to get this checked out. The circumstances might have been the same or they could be different. I could have gone in for an emergency cesarean and she could be here and I wouldn't be sat here talking to you. So it's just doing them little, little things that can make such a massive difference because my circumstances might be so so different. So could other people's if they just do little mm-hmm. sorry. No, you're okay. <laughs> you're okay. It's just a bit there. You're very passionate about this, which is which is good, you know, which is you know, I it's hard. It's hard. And you know, when you're when you're thinking about it and you think back and um, how things could have possibly been different, maybe, maybe not. We never know for sure. Um, but yeah, you're right. Those that I'm thinking of those that haven't had a loss and they're concerned, like you're saying, that they don't get the same care and that you have to say, you know, I've had a loss, I've had a stillbirth to get the care that that you want and you need just because of uh, your peace of mind and, and the child's well-being. Um, so I, I appreciate you sharing all that. I think it's important that we share all that. That's the reason for the podcast is that we share all of those things so that um, even people in the healthcare system can do um, know what, what um, our concerns are and can maybe change things for the better um, and not always dismiss things that are going on, for sure. Mm. sure. Sorry, I did go off on a little bit. That's okay. No problem (laughs) at all. So I wanted to, you said, with that second pregnancy, that was really, really hard. And you went and got scans all the time to, to make sure um, where else, how else did you get support? Because I've heard that a lot with clients, with people on the podcast, that when there's a loss, that next pregnancy is very difficult because there is the fear um, that the same thing will happen again. So did you, in the UK, do you have support to help you through that? Is there, um, 
is there support groups? Is there um, through the medical field? Is there support groups um, with coaches, with um, counselors, with therapists? How do you get support during that really hard pregnancy besides, you know, at the hospital with a scan? Um, there is support groups out there for a charity that I'm involved with now. It's for um, people that have lost babies, but I didn't want to go to to that so before I started I didn't want to go when I was pregnant because I didn't want to didn't want to upset people with me being sat there with my bump mm-hmm. and people talking about the loss of loss of a baby so I didn't go until I'd I'd had my second child um for that for that reason because I if I'd lost a baby and I was sat near someone that was that was pregnant it would it, it would upset me and it would probably frustrate me as, as well um i just kind of spoken to like friends and family and people try and reassure you and go it won't happen again and you're like but you you don't you, you don't know and it could and that constantly goes what i done was i played out so i ran ran through the grief in my head of how I would react and what I would do. So when I would go to the doctors or the hospital, I would play in my mind that they've told me she's she's died again. So then I would go, I would go through that scenario in my head. If so I kind of like built built myself up. So I didn't get attached um to it. I remember when she was born, I didn't cry. Mm. Uh, a, a dad cried, um, but I didn't. And I remember, I remember late then thinking, "Why am I crying? I should be crying." But I think because I didn't sleep at all on the night because I was I was panicking, um, and I, I remember late there thinking, "I should cry. Why am I crying?" So I'm having this conversation with myself in my head, and I pretend to cry. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> if we tend to cry then i might cry but i think i put that emotional block sure to not get fully and i think that's still there like even my oldest the this my second pregnant she's she, she's seven and i think there is still of an emotional block there um of of them and I think it's something to do with my mum as well, where they need to know how to live without me. And then I don't want to get fully... It's it's hard to explain, but I do think that there is some emotional block there of sure. not giving... Like, I feel uncomfortable saying I love you to people. That makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. So I think because of like my childhood and other stuff, there's like a block there where I'm not fully open as mm. as other people are. Um and I am aware of that and I do I do I do know that that is something that I need to work on. Um yeah. but in terms of support not that much that I can remember, but this was eight years ago, so maybe things have changed a little bit more. Um, I remember there was where the 
there was groups offered, but that was for um, people that wanted to do like home births and things like that. So it was kind of meditating and and things like that and going through like birth to pregnancy and stuff. But that wasn't really tailored for people that had lost a baby. It wasn't tailored for for offering support. It was people that hadn't had a loss, but they've just got they have like depression or anxiety. So then it's kind of helping them through that. But it wasn't really aimed for me. Okay. Well, people like me. Um. So then there was there was a counsellor in the in the hospital. Um, so when I was going to see my consultant and going for my scans, then it would link with them so when I finished there I would have my meeting with my with the counsellor um so that helped and just probably talking through it through it helped I mean it didn't take any of the anxiety really away because in the back of my mind I always thought that she was gonna she was just gonna die sure sure. again um and it was gonna it was gonna happen again but it's kind of you've just you've just got to you've just got to go, go through it there's this you can't do anything else it's I wanted another baby so that it's I have I have to do it yeah yeah well I totally understand um what you're saying um don't understand what you went through for sure but understand what you're saying that um you know the difficulty in that second pregnancy are always thinking that the same thing is going to happen that, um, you know, I could see where that would play in your mind all the time because you've experienced it. It's all that you know. Um, and to eliminate that from your mind is, is not an easy thing to do, for sure. I'm yeah. glad that they did have some support for you, you know, counselor. I think that says a lot about who you are, that you were did not want to go to the support group of pregnant. Um, to talk about a child that you lost with other women that have had a loss. So that speaks a lot about you and um, who you are so that, um, you know, you're respecting all of that um, and all those other women that were there. Um, I think that was really, really nice of you and, and sweet and very considerate of you um, in that respect, for sure. So you said you kind of indicated where you've got support. There was a lot of grief. Um, didn't really, it sounds like, didn't get a whole lot of support um, or really grieve until because you wanted a, um, a baby. So did grief hit you at another time um, harder? Um, Are you still feeling like you haven't totally processed all of that grief? Kind of where, where is grief on your journey? I go through phases of of it where I I think I'm quite good at putting things in the back of my mind and I just can't I don't know I I don't think about her every day okay. I, because because life gets in the way um, and I've and I, I don't feel bad for not thinking of, I mean when she when she first died and it first happened then that's all I thought about. Sure. And I woke up to go into bed, um, and that was all all I could think about of of everything that that went wrong, that could have been, and the frustration mm -hmm. and the anger. So that's all I thought about. But 
No, I don't think about it every day. Um, I think it's hard. It's hard to because life life gets in the way. I've got the job. I've got my job. I've got my my other kids. I've got so it doesn't always. I don't. I, I don't, and I don't mind telling people that I don't think about her every day, because because to say that would 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 be a lie. And I remember the la the first day that I didn't cry. Um, I don't know what I was doing. I can't remember what I was doing, but it was late on the night, and I thought I haven't cried today, and I was like, and it really really upset me, and I was like. Why haven't I cried? And I started to to question myself. Um, well, the next day I made up for it. I cried <laughs> a lot more. But then I kind of talked myself around, and I was like, "But it's all right not not to cry. I, I phys- you physically can't cry every every day or all day." Um. So yeah, it kind of goes through phases of of grief and it hits me and I think I've I have had counselling since she died I think about four four or five times with different different people for different things um that I've gone on in my, in my life um but yeah I don't I think I've I'm quite good at putting a block on my emotions and and things like that and not going too too deep because uh, I Probably because I don't, I don't know how to. In mm. part of me, I don't want to. Like I don't know how to go that deep into my emotions. And I think because I've do have like a people say that I'm an um, emotional emotionally challenged, mm. where I'm I'm not in touch with my emotions, and I know that. So. But that's just like who, who I am. Like I, I'm not a touchy feely, cuddly person. I don't tell people that I love them. I'm not like in people's fit, like like a cheerleader going yay. I'm not one of them. <laughs> I'm not one of them type of people. And if I was, I would feel odd. It doesn't not something that comes natural. I'm very sarcastic and got a dry sense of humour. <laughs> So to be that type of person, it wouldn't sit right with me. It just wouldn't. <laughs> well, it, it like I said, it's kind of who you are, you know. Um, if it's something that you feel like you need to change, you know, like you would love to be able to um, share your emotions um, more openly, you know, or be able to express your emotions more openly. Um, there are people like myself that can help with that, um, sharing those and allow those, allow those surface those things to surface. But if you're okay with where you're at with that, um, it's okay. It's okay. So a lot of that comes from uh, how we're raised. You know, I know myself that growing up as a child that, like you, you know, to say I love you was not words that came. They just showed that they loved you in different ways, but the words were not spoken all the time. And so that's just how it, how it's modeled to you. Um, And so that's how you continue to live, unless 
you want to change that. And then, you know, you can do that. So it's totally up to people how they want to do that. But we, we model a lot of things that from our childhood and that's how we're, how we're raised, how we do things. So, um, well, I am, I am very grateful that, um, you shared with us, you know, your journey, um, the loss. I'm very sorry for the loss. Um, do you do anything, um, on a yearly or monthly base basis to honor, um, the baby? Uh, yeah, so we do. I do celebrate a birthday, um, okay. and I like to do something different every year. I don't want. I didn't want to do the traditions where this is what I'm going to do every year for a birthday because I didn't know how I would feel. I don't know what what else would would be going on, and so I didn't want to do traditions. So I just kind of go with with how I'm feeling. What with really with how I'm feeling and then I just go with with that I don't buy buy anything because she doesn't have a great she doesn't have a grave she doesn't have like because I don't not that I'm I'm being cheap or that I don't want to buy I just don't I've got everything that I need for that I need to to remember like I've got a I've got rashes, I've got footprints, I've got um, other bits and bobs. And I just think adding to that is where where else would I put it? I've got everything that I need, so I don't buy anything. Um, in the local hospital, there was a garden that you could go and put things, but that's been changed now, that's been changed into something different. Um, so you can't do that anymore. So I just kind of go with... Go with how I'm feeling really don't put too much pressure on myself um and then just just take just take it on the day like sometimes even on the day I'll just decide oh well I'll do this or I'll do that I like to go somewhere different or do something that I've not done before and that's probably the only thing that I, I like to do good give me some examples of what are the things that you've done um so do a skydive oh. and just like visit visiting different places that I've not been um uh, when I had when I had my kids and stuff they taken them places with skydive I'd done that on her actual birthday um I didn't think it was going to go ahead because of the weather uh so it was supposed to be on the morning but it didn't end up being until later on that on the afternoon mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I don't know if it was because it was see I've spoke to people before when they've done skydives and they went oh it's amazing but for me I got bored halfway down you got what I got bored bored <laughs> yeah so I I jumped um <laughs> and, and then he went and he went, oh, put the parachute up. And I remember looking and I was like dangling my feet. And I was like, we're we going to the bottom now because I'm bored. And I don't know if that's because it was Thursday or, 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 or what. But I don't know what I was, ex- I don't know what I was expecting. But I remember thinking, oh, I was bored. Like after I'd done that initial jump and then what else? Yeah, you just fall <laughs> down. It was like, look at the view. I went, oh, yeah, nice. Nice, sir. And then I remember 
So I think I'm the only person that's done a skydive and has got bored halfway down. Oh my everyone else has said that was amazing or the, sure. the feeling made. And I was like, no, I'm bored. I've done an abseil and I enjoyed the abseil more than doing the skydive. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was that. Yeah. So you just go and do different things. Yeah. To kind of honor and remember her. And honor yourself, it sounds like, which is really, really good. Really, really important. So as we conclude, are there any words of encouragement or insight that you would like to share with the listeners that um, would be beneficial for them? <coughs> um don't be don't be ashamed of how you're feeling if you if you don't don't be don't be bothered about how about how you feel or don't feel that you need to act in a certain way so so like when i said i didn't cry and i felt guilty I shouldn't have felt guilty for not crying because because that's normal that's normal not not to not to cry so no matter what you how you feel and no matter what you want to do then then just go with it and don't feel don't feel bad for how you feel mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. good all right well thank you Gemma so much for sharing your story, sharing your journey. I know that this is going to be beneficial to other women that have experienced um, a loss. Um, it's going to be helpful to, to them. So I appreciate you so much taking the time today. I know it's late there, but I appreciate you taking the time today to share with me so we can share with all the listeners. So thank you again so much. Oh, brilliant. Oh, thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it. helpful please consider sharing it and if you do share it on social media tag me so that I can personally thank you because I really do appreciate uh, you sharing it and this really is the best way that we can connect and support others on this journey and also if you can take a minute and write a review or comment on this episode or ask a question. Those are the ways that I can continue to create valuable and supportive content for you and the other listeners. And of course, if you have not yet connected with me, I would love for you to find me on social media. On Facebook, you can find me at Teresa Werner Reiniger, on Instagram, Teresa Reiniger, and on both Instagram and Facebook, you can find me at Living After Grief. If you need support and are feeling alone on your journey, I am here to support you. I am looking forward to being with you again next week. So continue to share your story to help others feel inspired and to give them hope on their journey. Until next week, have a peaceful and blessed week.